0: Welcome to ProctorCast where we bring you plain English interviews all about the most relevant procurement topics of the day in short coffee break sized episodes because hey time's precious and you have got value to deliver so now let's get straight into this week's show Hello and welcome to another episode of ProctorCast, episode two. And on this week's episode, we're going to get to grips with a common problem in the procurement space, especially in the indirect procurement space. And that is, how do we as procurement professionals get recognized by finance for the performance and the value that we deliver to organizations? And while in direct materials, it's very, it's relatively easy where you just take the last paid price, and, and, and minus off or subtract any market price differential that organizations and buyers certainly can't really control. Whereas in the indirect space, it's complex for a number of reasons, which we're going to go into with my guest today. So I would like to introduce Pauline King, who is a procurement professional, who has also spent a lot of time working intensively with what we'll call the dark side, our finance colleagues, both as a practitioner and also as a consultant, to really Develop a process, a recognised process that gives procurement credit in a in a way that be that can be financially accountable in terms of P and L results, while at the same time acknowledging that indirect spend is not as straightforward and as black and white as a lot of direct commodities, which can be measured on purchase price variance. So, Pauline, welcome to ProcterCast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So you're actually an American based in Switzerland, right?
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, many, many years in
0: Switzerland. I won't ask you if you can speak Swiss German. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So maybe Pauline, just kick off, if you could explain, I saw something that you put on LinkedIn, which I thought was a really good infographic. There are two key factors which determine how easy or how difficult it is to get direct correlation between an indirect saving and a company's P&L. Could you briefly just walk us through that first of all?
1: Yeah, happy to do that. Um, I I think I had an aha in all the the times I've been working with finance and procurement. Um, And the real issue is when you're looking at a, a saving and an indirect saving, how do you link it to a cost center? So does it have a clear baseline? So getting into the year on year, what was the price last year versus this year? Versus is it easy to link it to a cost center? And those are actually the two criteria which indicate how easy it is to take that saving and bring it to a cost center, which at the end, if you want to have a PNL impact, means that you have to reduce the budget. That's the bottom line. So that's the concept.
0: And I guess cost center, it, it, it then makes it more narrow in terms of who you need to talk to and get on board in order to agree a, a budget reduction or a change in how a, a department or a cost center goes out and spends that money. Whereas, whereas price baseline is a lot more complex, isn't it? Because a lot of indirect spend is not repeatable or doesn't necessarily have a last price paid in the system, especially when we consider services rather than materials.
1: I would say it's actually both. Um, you have examples, um, and we can maybe take some examples. It's probably the easiest way to explain it. Um, yeah, you absolutely. Do have, you do have some things where um, it's easy to have a cost baseline, but it's really difficult to say which cost center. So sometimes there could be hundreds, maybe even thousands of cost centers. And then how do you capture that money? So there's two there's two difficulties um, in, in that constellation. And you have to be able to resolve both in order to have a P&L impact. So that those are the, that's sort of the game uh, of the whole thing. And and this is yeah. why in the end the most important stakeholder is finance. So finance and procurement, the business is involved, of course, but in terms of really determining this it's actually the dialogue between finance and procurement which is the most most important dialogue.
0: And that's a really good point because no matter what procurement may be using internally as their metrics ultimately, finance is responsible for the P&L of the organization. And, and we as procurement professionals, like it or not, have to dance to their <laughs> tune and get their alignment in in terms of how we report savings out to the wider business. I mean, there are metrics that we can track internally as procurement. I mean, cost avoidance being one of them um, in terms of measuring buyer performance, but in terms of what we report to the organization, I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think slowly but surely, procurement is on board with that now. So let let's dive into a couple of examples that we that we floated around when we were prepping this. And and I think they're both really good in terms of highlighting one extreme versus the other. Mm-hmm. So let's look first of all at at travel spend and particularly in terms of things like in, in terms of things like hotels uh, and, and flights. Because that definitely fits into pretty much the whole company is using it. And I assume that it's difficult to apportion that to a single cost center, but you probably do have some baseline price data. Correct. Correct.
1: Um, One point before we jump into that example is that this very importance of procurement speak versus finance speak. Um, And (laughs) the bottom line is it's finance speak. And, Procurement can go on with our internal things around procurement that we love to talk about. But at the end of the day, it's the financials and the way that a financial quote controlling happens in a, in a company that's relevant. So we can have another discussion about cost avoidance. But we'll just have to have you on there again there.
0: and talk about cost avoidance. <laughs> exactly. That's another
1: topic. So let's, let's talk about travel. And this is a really good example. Um, both in terms of flights or hotels, um, and then what do you do with that? So let's take an example with hotels. Um, And one of the things with hotels is, for example, if you're in a headquarters location, there you often have a high enough volume where you can make some negotiations um, with with, uh, local hotels here and significant um, reductions. Um, but then how do you get that money? Because, uh, you know, in, in one example that I, that was actually from Syngenta days, we did a really great, um, reduction in hotel costs in Basel. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all the people coming from outside to here that are actually using the hotel. So if it was hundred and now it's 80, but of course it was higher prices because Switzerland, um, how do you get that 20, <laughs> Right. <laughs> And that was actually in thousands of cost centers. So in that example, um, we did have a cost baseline. So you knew it was 100 last year, and now it's 80 this year. So you have a saving of 20 as a a unit. Um, So clear the year to year, but which cost center? Because it was thousands of cost centers. Um, so there was two ways to go about that um, and we actually chose a path um, that was easier. So what we did in that case is we said, you know what, um, we're going to do it as a, a rebate direct from the hotel. So we did not pass through the 80 to the, to the end um, traveler, but rather at the end of the year, we did a true up with the hotel and got a one-time fee that came in as cash. And so that was then captured because it was centralized. Um, But in that same travel space, um, we also did some things around flights, um, which again, uh, we knew what was the cost of the flight before, what's the cost of the flight now. So cost baseline was easy, but again, hundreds and hundreds of cost centers. So in that case, what we did was uh, we had a management decision. So if you think again about that two by two, do you have a cost center cost baseline versus the cost center link? Um, it was sort of a, a no cost center link to a yes cost baseline. How do you move that over to yes, yes? Um, and there we, we had a, a senior management discussion. We presented it to the exec and said, we're just going to reduce cost centers the travel budget. And so there was just an across the board travel budget reduction for all of the, you know, the, the big group functions done.
0: So, so you were able then to 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 roughly calculate what portion of a travel budget is spent on flights, and proportionately, if correct. you were making a five percent saving on flights, you would you would reduce that that portion of the budget by five percent accordingly. Correct, okay.
1: correct. And then when you're going into kind of discussions like that, it's always better better to err on the conservative side um, and be conservative and we'll say, okay, you knew it was a ten percent, but let's take half. We'll take five percent. And this creates less friction um, because of course, people don't like that. But this is then the topic of being brave and indirect procurement, you gotta be brave. Um, but that's, again, that's a good example of, of how to do that.
0: Right, and it, and it all goes back to the stakeholder relationships as well. And if they're strong Correct. and they understand and there's trust there, then they're much, likely, much more likely to accept that as a, as a change if they can see the rationale and the argument Correct. behind Correct.
1: it. And you have to do it upfront. So, you know, you need to engage with the stakeholders um, and you have to have an upfront discussion and be very upfront and not try to hide. So a lot of procurement indirect people are like, oh, you know, if we tell people, then they're not going to want to work with us. But (laughs) uh, I'm really a fan of just saying it like it is um, and going from there. It's a much stronger negotiating position, if you will.
0: No, definitely. So I think let, let's take another one then, and maybe this is a, well, it's certainly very different in terms of how you would measure it. So let's take maintenance services or facility management services, mm-hmm. either in an office building or in what I know from my background in a production facility, where often these services are, are pull services where you engage them reactively when something breaks. I mean, yes, there are preventative maintenance Mm -hmm. contracts and annual checkups but a lot of this spend is going to be reactive so you may not have a previous year baseline in terms of quantity or price so I guess in that sense Mm -hmm. you do have a cost center that you can relate most of this spend to but you're not going to have a baseline price so so how would you do that
1: right Exactly, um, and you know, depending on the company, even the the cost center can get complicated if you have multiple sites. Um, but let's assume you have a you know you have a clear you have clear site um, you have a clear line of of budget, so you know which cost center. So this is an example of a yes, we know the cost center, but a no, it's difficult to have a cost baseline. So again, um, you know, there's two. There's two ways you can try to go about that. Um, There's one way, which is you can go detail, detail, um, and attempt to look at a previous year and bring that to a unit cost in some form or another, um, which sometimes the finance people would really love that. And they'll go way down a rabbit hole on that. I'll come back to that because that's something to avoid. Um, But they love that, right? So, so the game is then to look more at, um, depending on what you're doing, if you've, if you've done a consolidation of suppliers, um, you know, and you're shifting of volume to preferred suppliers, um, or if you've done a demand management and just cut out of um, how you use the services, um, it's essentially a game of saying what makes sense. So for example, let's take cleaning services. Um, and we 've done a consolidation of cleaning services, um, and we had you know twenty individuals, and now we have one one service provider in theory, you should be able to go back to what were all those different service providers providing versus our price now. but in reality, that might be so might be so much work it 's not worth it now, usually, in such a scenario, people know say, 80-20 or even a 70-30 rule that says, okay, we know more or less that it was a 5% reduction. And if we take a kind of a good enough basket of services of what we had before versus the new now, we can agree that that's a good enough number. So this is a little bit, the game is working with finance to come to a good enough number that everyone can say, yeah, that makes sense and call it a day. And one of the things that procurement needs to be, I would say, more brave on is you come with the data and you come with as much that makes sense, and you invite your finance colleagues to work with you to find something practical and pragmatic, as opposed to coming in and saying, Oh, I am saving, we're not quite sure how to measure it, da-da-da-da-da. And you're coming in a in sort of in a position of weakness. And so it's, it's, a, it's more a way of working with finance and being a partner and coming in with a going-in position. So just like you would go into negotiation with a going-in position, you should have the same with finance. And this is my going-in position and we're going to find a solution. I mean, that's, that's always the game. Sometimes you don't get there or sometimes you might need to say, we knew it was a 5% reduction, but to avoid... Arguments, we'll say 3% and take that. Always go into the direction of more conservative, where everyone feels like they can stand behind the number, as opposed to perhaps pushing the limit on the upper side. But on the other side, people don't really believe or stand behind the numbers. So this is a bit the game, if you will.
0: Yeah, and I think you touched on a few really, really good points there because. It's really getting out of this mindset of the numbers that re- that procurement reports are the actual savings because the business doesn't re- doesn't recognize them outside of our little bubble. And you also hit on to another really important point, which I- I'd maybe not thought of in the past, but it but the but that the onus is really on procurement as a function to reach out and and in dating terminology, make the first move <laughs> because it puts exactly. us then more in a position of not necessarily a position of power but in more of a position of control or authority that mm-hmm. that we're coming to finance with a proposal rather than Rather than us coming scratching their heads or, or, or complaining, saying that, you know, why aren't you recognizing what we're delivering? So, I think exactly. both of those are, 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 re- are really, really good points and are a good first step for anyone, maybe in a new indirect procurement role that maybe doesn't have that level of maturity in terms of what's recognized in the organization as a as a saving. Any final tips, Pauline, before we sign off?
1: Well, you know, I, I think the other thing is that going in position, um, and I would say, A final point is, normally there are savings that are sitting there that are just not being captured. And so, especially in a crisis moment like right now, it's a golden moment. So normally you go in, you look at a portfolio of indirect projects, and everything is being respent, and it's money that's lying there that could be captured. So in a crisis moment, if you can make that visible and capture that money, you're you're a hero um, to the company. So my message is be brave and go for it.
0: Seize the day. Now that's a, another awesome tip, Pauline. Thank you very much for joining me on this week's ProctorCast. Where can people find you if they would like to connect with you and pick your brain about the weird and wonderful operatings of how, how finance ticks and what's in their head? Just get in touch with
1: me on LinkedIn. So I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and all my information is there. You can send me a message. To get into and
0: I'll put and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Pauline, thank you very much, and yeah, great insights there. Thank you. Thanks,
1: James. Thanks for having me.
0: And that wraps up another episode of ProctorCast. Join us again in two weeks' time with another great episode where we will be interviewing another procurement practitioner or service provider to give insights on their specific area of expertise. All the best. Take care, and speak to you again soon.